0: May 2nd, 2021. Thousands of Manchester United supporters donning green and yellow scarves gathered outside of the club's historic home, Old Trafford. The green and yellow scarves aren't what you necessarily think of when you think of Manchester United colors, but they are the colors of protest, representing the old colors of the club and worn as a slight to the hated owners of United, the Glazers family. This is right off the heels of the European Super League, a closed-off league only for elite clubs that threatened the very fabric of the footballing world. And while these protests may have been sparked by Manchester United's involvement in the failed Super League, the roots of discontent stretch much further than that. The Glazers' protest has sparked much discussion about the role of ownership in football, fan control, and more. So today, we ask, what does the Glazers' protest mean for the future of football? It's a story of over-commercialization, profit over community, and hope for a potential future featuring 50 plus 1 and fan-controlled clubs. If you like this episode, don't forget to give us a follow, a rating, and tell a friend that you enjoyed it. Let's get on to the show. Hello and welcome back to The Final Third Deep Dive. I am AJ Tabura. I'm one of the co-hosts of The Final Third Podcast. I'm joined by, as always, Jack. Jack, how are you feeling?
1: Pretty good, now that our technical classes are over. Less good now that we're actually entering finals week, which is stress time.
0: Yeah, Jack and I are both college students here uh, in America, in Minnesota, so we are gearing right up to a nice, fun, fun week of finals. But of course, we we had to record the podcast. It's a nice distraction. So here we are, you know, talking about something really fun: commercialization of football, which actually might not be that fun and exciting now that I think about it. But uh, in case you guys haven't heard, there were some protests this past Sunday, May 2nd. And now let's get right into the story. We're talking about what this Glazers protest means for the future of football. As always, follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show. Instagram, same tag, at Final Third Show. But there's a lot of backstory that I'd like to talk about with the Glazers and their ownership of, I'd say, the biggest commercial club in of the premier league history manchester united in 2005 the glazers bought ownership into manchester united giants in the english premier league they took out 580 million pounds in loans to finance the takeover putting manchester united previously debt-free for the past 70 years deep in the hole fans hated the move obviously and they asked the uk government to shut it down Prominent members of the Manchester community spoke out against it, including the Sir Alex Ferguson. To this day, Manchester United are still in debt, but during this time, the Glazers have seeped money away from Manchester United, paying themselves most of the profit that comes out of the club. United are still the only club to actually, quote, pay their owners £20 million each year. The protests against the Glazers stem not from the team's lack of trophies, although that could be a factor, but mainly from their mismanagement since 2005. Not only are the Glazers actively seeping money from the club, they actually haven't been investing all that much. Although eye-catching players have made their way to the club, most recently the likes of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Paul Pogba, and Bruno Fernandes, there have been a lack of capital investment. The training grounds are subpar. Their stadium is run down, leaking in some places and breaking down in others. And it wasn't until this year that the club invested in hiring a sporting director. And still, they lag behind other Premier League teams in terms of adopting advanced analytics, scouting, and sports science. This all-while ticket sales skyrocket, the club becomes more commercialized and worldly, and the community of Manchester gets forgotten. So last Sunday, May 2nd, United fans protested outside of Old Trafford, some actually getting into the ground and onto the pitch. This, of course, postponed their marquee game against Liverpool FC. These protests are putting significant pressure on the Glazers to finally sell the club, with calls for 50-plus-1 to be implemented, the decrease of commercialization from clubs, not just Manchester United, government intervention, and above all, for the Glazers to finally, finally sell the club. So here's the question to start off today's discussion, Jack, about what these protests and protests against owners at large means for the future of the footballing world. It's an open-ended discussion. But Jack, what do these protests tell us about the current state of the footballing world?
1: Well, it tells us a few things. Uh, For one, it tells us that, you know, the sport has significantly changed in I'd argue over the past 20 to 30 years, significantly, it used to be a lot more about local, uh, you know, like how can the club enhance the local community? What What is the club doing that enhances, you know, the local economy The and all of that kind of stuff? But since then, it's become more and more about a globalized brand. And, you, you know, it it tells us that to a certain extent, like that means that, it's almost as if it's a zero sum game where with every globalizing move comes a little bit of that money or a little bit of that enhancement to the local community going away and because of that, there was an eventual point where fans were like, "You know what we've had enough of this. The club has been taken away from what it should be, and because of that it, it uh, something needs to be done and that that's the first thing. The second thing is you know it it tells us that Fans are fed up with not being heard. That's been a prominent critique among, like, not just, you know, these big six clubs and, like, you know, the clubs that join the Super League, for example, but just from a lot of clubs, the, their fans in general. They feel that ownership doesn't really care about what they think or anything like that. And rather, they, their only motive is profit. It's not really about sporting merit. It's not about, like, enjoying the game. It's not about that. It's not even about trophies. Instead, it's about how can we extract the most profit from this? You know, it it makes sense that they're upset uh, because they, they feel like they're being left behind and that their club that they grew up with is getting destroyed as just, you know, a way for these rich guys to make profit. And I think those are like the two key things that these protests are really telling us that you know the the glo- the local charm of these clubs has been transformed into a globalized brand and to that fans are just fed up with profit motives in the game
0: yeah i mean you, you hit it right on the head of the nail right there it's it's rampant commercialization and you know like you said the past 30 years the premier league was formed about 30 years ago and this commercialization is a natural progression of that once you have more tv deals more sponsorship deals it becomes less of a community built uh, club and more of a club built for profit if you listen to what the owners have to say what they t- say to stakeholders what they s- say to their investors it's all about revenue it's revenue 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 whether it's fsg daniel levy the glazers Cronky, even with arsenal what they say and what they tell you know the stakeholders has nothing to do with what they're doing for the community what they're doing to get more trophies obviously it's about making more money to the point where ed woodward has himself said that you don't need to win all these trophies in order to make a profit in order to become a commercially successful club and to a point that's true manchester united are very successful commercially but that is at the direct expense, because it is a zero-sum game, of them losing some local charm, marketing towards a globalized brand, globalized fans, and leaving their local fans because they're moving to this, this globalized brand. They're moving towards this this new type of fan. And people are sick of that. They're sick of being treated as a customer instead of, of a supporter. And I think that's the real key thing that we're trying to get at here, is that The the spirit of the game, the spirit of supporting football, supporting soccer is slowly getting taken away due to the ticket prices, pricing out the working class and the entirety of the sport becoming inaccessible, whether it's ticket prices, whether that's streaming options, whether that's just not feeling like the club really represents the people of Manchester anymore. And so that's why people are protesting. I ask myself this every single day, whether it's this or some other social justice protest or any form of activism at all, uh, will these protests do anything in the immediate f- future? we can We can, you know, plot and try to imagine what it could do. But what will it do is an even bigger question. it's a It's a big question to ask when we're talking about the direct effects of this protest on the footballing world. Jack. I have this question and the follow-up question, but will these protests do anything in the, the, the near immediate future?
1: In the near immediate future, I'm not so sure because, you know, a ton of news has come out saying, you know, that the Glazers don't really have an intention to sell. And all they really want to do, and this is exactly what we were talking about with Profit Motive, their plan is to chain to increase Manchester United's value from $3 billion to $10 billion. That that's their goal, and it, it it's not it's not winning trophies. It's not like winning the Champions League. It's not winning the Premier League. It's it's money. So, but I I don't think it's going to change much in the short term future because you know these kinds of things, these kinds of protests are going to take a while to make any sort of change. Uh, given I'm in like the political science field, there's a ton of theories about protest and like you know, the threshold for when protests have to be successful. And usually it's like, you know, 5% of a population has to protest for things to be, for it to be successful.
0: So are, are you saying that 5% of Manchester United fans have to protest? It, does, does that theory still like carry over to the footballing world?
1: It, w- it would be interesting to see, but I, I, think, I think it could, you know. It, it, w- it would be interesting to see. But if you had, like, let, let's say you just had every local Manchester United fan from the city of Manchester, come to Old Trafford one day and just protest and, and with Glazers out. At, all of a sudden, the Glazers are thinking, well, hold on, we could lose literally all of these gate sales because most of the, most of the, most of the ticket sales they're getting, right, is from local fans it's not as mm, much that, like fans
0: that that could be debatable they they, they could do be, have a right, lot of foreign yeah. fans but yes True, continue. But the
1: the gate revenues is, is what sure. i'm talking about like that that's more like the those local fans who are who are giving it to them and because of that they they might reevaluate and say well we could lose out on a significant chunk of revenue if we don't sell or at least adapt our practices right so it it becomes then like cost benefit calculation because if you get enough people out there, I it, it, eventually they can't ignore it anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it Man, Manchester United fans could go out and delay every single game for the rest of the season, and that that eventually, like you know, the Glazers can't ignore that, right? They they have to eventually say like, oh, maybe maybe there's a problem that we should address. But as as of right now, if it's just like you know a thousand people or so, that's not going to be enough to do anything. Unfortunate as it is, like. I, I I like to believe in the power of people, but 1,000 people versus like an entire global brand, it's a pretty easy cost benefit calculation then for the Glazers. Like, so I that that's that's a uh, that's the way I see it at least.
0: So short term, you don't see the Glazers selling. You don't see a lot of movement in terms of the fight against this global brand. Medium to long term, are you a little bit more optimistic about the people of Manchester's fight?
1: Well, I I think so because this is kind of a natural progression that we've seen over the years because, you know, even when United were winning trophies like 2008, 2010, like that kind of era, that era of three years when they won Champions Leagues, when they won Premier Leagues, there were still fans in like the stadiums with signs that said like Blazers out and all that kind of stuff. But eventually you see, you see these protests get bigger and bigger and, you know, it, became at its largest just two days ago for, for us. So, you know, that that's pretty massive that it's come that far, but it, it'll take a while for it to build up. But given that the I guess you could say the dam is broken of going from like just kind of passive dislike for the glazers to like an active, an active wanting of them out because of, you know, for among other things, a super weak decision. Yeah. So because of all that stuff, I think that in the medium to long-term future, there's definitely a possibility they sell, especially if these kinds of protests continue.
0: Yeah, and, and to be clear, people were glazers out before glazers even came in in right. the first place. Yeah. United in 2005, when they came in, they were telling the government to you know kick these guys out, that 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 they should step in. They got e- even bigger protests in, 2000, in 2005. So much so that they they started a uh, a phoenix club a supporter owned phoenix club or what is it a, a fc united of manchester I I, I I believe that that's their club but no, this in in my view isn't like as you said going to get the glazers to sell right now but i th- i think there's a key thing that uh, you haven't mentioned yet and it's the fact that protests beget more protests i suppose once once people see that there is already action being taken and we mentioned this in the monday episode they are more likely to take action as well it kind of takes some inspiration from other protesters other activists to get people motivated because they're not going to start the movement themselves but if they see the movement's already happening They're going to jump in, and I think that's one of the long-term effects and short and medium-term effects of this protest that we're going to see not just in Manchester, but in cities across Europe. I think uh, because there's going to be a second round of protests in Manchester outside of Old Trafford in the 14th and 15th of May, in mid-May somewhere, I think because of those protests and because of the singular protest that happened just this past Sunday, we're going to see a more global, continental push towards fan control. We're already seeing this. We're already seeing this in Valencia against uh, the the Lim family, the owners of uh, Valencia CF in Spain's La Liga. They've sucked the club dry, left them with a half-finished stadium, and have cut half of the first team last summer in order to save money. Uh, Fans obviously see that as a way to screw the club over to get the the owner more money. So they're speaking out against it and they're protesting as well to get a limb out of there. And there's a large history of clubs failing due to poor ownership, not just the big clubs, not just Valencia, but Hull. Bolton, Barry, Wimbledon, Schalke, Hamburger, SV, Blackburn, Newcastle, Doncaster Rovers, Portsmouth, Charlton Athletic, Blackpool, Birmingham, Sunderland, you know, a lot of English clubs, to be fair. Uh, With this movement, maybe we can move more to fan-controlled clubs to protect the sanctity and future of teams like the ones I've just listed. And I think what these protests really signal is kind of a watershed moment in the footballing world where football fans of big and small clubs alike have to decide whether or not they're going to join in the fight. But that leads me to kind of a follow-up question off that because I just came up with this, Jack, and I'm going to throw it to you right now. But do you think that this status quo that people are going to try to fight, whether it's trying to get the Glazers out, because the status quo right now is the Glazers' ownership, and the status quo of just commercialization as a whole, do you think that is a status quo that is possible to be defeated? Or is or is it just too powerful and unmoving that we can't move away from it? I suppose.
1: I, I think for the Glazers status quo, I think that's changeable because you know there there's several avenues for which that, that can be changed. Now you could talk government intervention, you can talk intervention on the part of the FA or the Premier League, you can talk just them caving to fan protest. You can talk, I I think uh, I was just looking through the found that, you know, they might be willing to sell if someone came up with like a 4 billion pound offer. There are possibilities. They might be slim possibilities, but yeah, that status quo can change. This commercialization of soccer though, the globalization of it, I don't think so. I'm not sure if that's changeable. And the reason why is because, you know, it, as much as much as i hate the idea of the super league they did get one thing right in it in that you know as the as the world itself globalizes their product of you know soccer and their top teams are going to be exported around the world and because of that eventually they're going to have to expand even further and further and further and you know i i think that globalization is here to stay because as the world just gets more international and uh you know that that sounds kind of like a ridiculous statement to say but you have to remember that this globalized world where there's been like a ton of trade between countries and all of that has only existed for like 65 years or so mm-hmm. as that expands we're only going to we're only going to see more and more of this globalization because there's always going to be new audiences to reach there's right. always going to be new fans that you can get, and because of that, that even 50 plus one, right? (laughs) As much as like these fans might want to say like, yeah, if if we had majority rule uh, of these clubs, we, we'd preserve the club. Right. But that's not necessarily true because one, they might not vote as a monolith you're not guaranteed that all the fans have the same preferences. And also, you know, you're, uh, (laughs) they're still going to want to expand their club and do what's best for it. They, because they want their club to succeed. So I, I think that regardless of the system in the future, that globalization uh, of soccer, that status quo is here to stay. But I do think that there is a future, there is a status quo that can exist without the Glazers, or I guess that doesn't make much sense, but the status quo with the Glazers in it can be toppled.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, going off that, we're going to get to 50 plus one in a little bit because that's been a major component of these protests. But when we're talking about commercialization and the inability to be less commercialized, in your mind, when we're talking about the status quo, when we're talking about reducing the commercialization in football and kind of getting back to the grassroots football that English fans know so well, in your mind, as someone who knows economics really well that knows politics really well is that something that at all can happen like is that even in the realm of possibility you say like oh it's probably not gonna happen because we're, we're globalizing so much is there even like like with with uh what's it in doctor strange or whatever he's coming up with like all these like possibilities like this is the, the one, in one where, million. we in yeah. yeah
1: one in 14 million yeah well yeah uh I think I think it's possible, right? Like there, there's a chance of anything happening. You know, my and, my folks and, and is, what does it yeah. take? I'll also say like right. yeah, like, that, that's fair. That's a fair question to ask as well. But like, you know, I my my degree for political science is in political methodology. So I deal with statistics and stuff like that. There there's never a zero percent chance of something happening. There there's always a chance of it happening. And I, I think there there can be. I I I I think that there's been some instances where clubs have shown that they're open to this kind of thing because for one, you know, 50 plus one, for example, didn't always exist in the Bundesliga. It it right. didn't always exist in German soccer. It it was something that was built in later. And that could definitely that could definitely happen with the Premier League. It would take a lot of pressure. It would probably take, I'd imagine, a, a lot of intervention by the government, for one. Uh, you know, we know both UK parties, the conservatives and labor, both the major parties at least. Are, seem to be very on board with 50 plus one, or at least some semblance of fan control in the game. And because of that, you, know, you could see potentially you know, Tories and Labour get along and say, yeah, yeah, let, let's, let's pass some legislation to do something on this. And if that happens, you know, if you can get the entire UK government, or at least a majority of it, to back this, that can definitely happen. But, but, it, but, but, but that's still, just
0: yeah. that's just 50 plus one, right? Like, right.
1: Exactly. That's, that, that's that doesn't
0: guarantee a future of decommercialized soccer.
1: Oh, I agree. Yeah. It, it, that that one's even a slimmer possibility, because to get to this decommercialized state, you have to like 50 plus one is kind of a prerequisite to get to even that. Right. Because Probably. you need to kind of rein in the corporate control. And 50 plus one is a good prerequisite to doing that. But in in like, even if you, even if you rein in that corporate control, you know, you, you have to guarantee that your fan base will control, you know, will control 50 plus one of that contingent voting against the commercialization and Mm -hmm. increased commercialization, which isn't guaranteed because at, you know, the super league seemed to be like universally condemned, but even polling shows that 14% of people still supported it. And, you know, if you have 50 plus one and that's exactly what you have, you have 51% fan control, 14% of those fans say, uh, agree with the ownership. Then the ownership gets their way. That that's, that's unfortunately the way that works. And, you know, it, it would take a lot because as, as I'm sure we both know, because we we're we're both in, in in tune with politics, you know. You you say that I, I I know a lot about it, but you know a lot about it too. Yeah, sure. People can be bought. People yeah. can be bought, and because of that, uh, like I said earlier, cost benefit analysis. The, these clubs are going to say, "Hey, you know what? We'll give you we'll give you free season tickets, or like we'll give you a we'll give you a lifetime supply of like free jerseys, or maybe we'll just give you a thousand bucks. We'll just give you a thousand pounds to to vote our way." And, you know, that, that's going to cost less than what they could potentially lose if the, if the fans get their way. So I might be a little bit pessimistic on that. I might be.
0: That, that's a very uh, pessimistic take,
1: me. I will be honest. Yeah, you can, you, you can tell me if you think otherwise, but I think it's going to be really tough to kind of dislodge commercialization in soccer because it's so much of a part of the game. And even if, you know, you get some community control in there, There's no guarantee it actually benefits the community 100% of the time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll have to like really, really agree with you. I think what this protest really, really shows us is that the fact that this is a big thing, the fact that people standing up to this commercialization, like 1,000 people, Sam, to commercialization Mm -hmm. is a big deal, goes to show you just how embedded in our soccer world it is to the fact that people staying up against this, like this some huge, huge watershed moments, like big world event in soccer. And in my mind, the status quo is just so powerful. To make a change is so difficult. So many examples of this, you know, rampant commercialization, yet so little change. The future is the status quo, unless we get radical, radical change. Because even the way that we know soccer, and Jack and I understand soccer, is a product of globalization you know chelsea west ham the premier league as a whole even mls they are as popular as they are because they were able to reach out to international fans they globalized they commercialized they're selling themselves as less of a community team and more of a brand that even people in minneapolis people in china people in australia people in india people in in africa and like the 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 most remote place in the world can understand that manchester united is the the biggest team in england and cheer for them that's their goal because these teams know that reaching out internationally know that commercialization and becoming less of a club and more of a brand gets them money it's their way to grow they know that higher ticket prices better tv deals for them and not for the customer are the way to make money so unless fan control happens we're going to see more commercialization and that's it's going to be a never-ending cycle just look at Arsenal right they want Stan Kroenke out he is a terrible owner for any team that he owns ask Colorado Rapids fans ask LA Rams fans and yet the person they want to come in and save them is another billionaire it's the Spotify CEO that you know might fix the investment that's coming into the club. That doesn't fix the actual overcommercialization of Arsenal Football Club. There's, they're still you know forgetting the London community. They're still forgetting what makes them them. And with Manchester United, if they sell, unless you get like a lot of fan control, who buys Manchester United? It's going to be. A billionaire, a billionaire who doesn't pay taxes. It's going to be an oligarch from a country who has maybe some human rights violations, or that oligarch did some bad things to get into power. Or it's going to be an actual Middle Eastern country who has a bad history with human rights violations, with women's rights violations, with LGBT rights violations. You know, it's this never ending cycle unless we can break it. And that's what makes decommercialization so, so difficult, is the fact that this is like an immovable object because we have so many international fans that these these clubs can depend on, even if the local fans turn their back. And the fact that these clubs are so, so big that the only way to sustain them is constant commercialization or turning to an even richer, richer owner. We talked about this last week when we talked about the wealth gap but, when we're specifically talking about these owners, it seems like an object that just just we just cannot move. Jack, do you have anything to say about that before I ask you more about fifty plus one and
1: what it can actually do? no i th- I think you covered that pretty much uh, like exactly like the just finding another billionaire isn't going to fix anything. It's not going to fix this idea of commercialization. It's just going to cause the same cycle. So yeah, yeah. you said it perfectly.
0: I I can't wait for five years from now when the Spotify CEO buys Arsenal, and then we see trending on Twitter hashtag Spotify out. That that's what I'm 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 really excited for because let's be honest, you know, a billionaire is not going to save your club. It, it, it's just that's just not the case because it's when you have problems at your club, it's a lot more structural than just pure money. And even if he's a fan of the club, like. More money doesn't exactly mean a better, more enjoyable team. Uh, You might need some fan control. And that's where I transition into 50 plus one. Because one of the big, big uh, points of this protest, the reason why this protest is happening is because a lot of Manchester United, including the Manchester United Supporters Trust or MUST, M-U-S-T, have been calling for 50 plus one to be implemented in Manchester United and clubs in the Premier League. Now, we we are 30 minutes in. uh, We have not explained 50 plus one. I realize it's actually an issue that we had last week. We also didn't explain uh, financial fair play, so not fair play to us, I'll be honest. But uh, in a nutshell, 50 plus one is the system in Germany, in the Bundesliga and the, the second Bundesliga, where teams will cede control or when it started, they ceded control to fans. So fans must be required to own 50% of a club plus one vote. And that's where 50 plus one comes. So they always technically have own uh, majority ownership of teams. And then the, the rest of the the, the 50% like uh, thereabouts can go to another actual owner so it could go to the likes of uh i don't know uh, the fsg or whoever and you know because of that it allows fans to have more control of the club jack already mentioned some of the issues with 50 plus one uh but um, i'll throw it back to him uh, jack w- w- we're seeing more people the community of manchester the community of the english premier league and s- soccer fans worldwide Gathering in support of fifty plus one, a petition calling for fifty plus one reached about half a million signatures in England, requiring the UK government to discuss passing a law on it. So my question is like, will fifty plus one help? How will it help? Like, what are the pros and some of the cons that you've already mentioned of fifty plus one? And then I have you know another follow up question to that as well.
1: Well, yeah. Um, how will it help? Uh, the the way that supporters and those who well are, are proponents of this move say that it will help is that it gets back to fan control and non-corporate dominance in the game and it's easy to see why you know theoretically if supporters have a majority share in the club then yeah they they should have they should be able to dictate decisions and they should be uh, it it should be the board's burden to convince them rather than uh, it, you know, the supporters' burden to convince the board that their decision and their thinking is correct. So theoretically, it should return control to fans. However, on the other hand, as I, as I discussed in my pessimistic worldview, I suppose, they could be bought out by, by the ownership and say, you know what, here, here you go, I'm, I'm going to get you – you know what, I'm going to get you a photo op with Mason Mount, like on the Chelsea, uh, like this is the, the Chelsea boardroom. I'm going to get you a photo op with Mason Mount. You're going to get a signed jersey from him if you just vote my way. And if you have exactly 50 plus one, it's over then. And then, then the board gets their way. And, you know, it, it's, it's very fragile. It, it almost at, at times can give an illusion of fan control when in reality, the board still dictates a lot. And that's ultimately very true because 50 plus one in bundesliga doesn't doesn't like control like ah yeah should we should we buy this player or not they don't they don't get a say on that that that's not that's not their their uh their choice to make that's still the board and uh and you know the sporting director the coach that's who makes the final decision it's it not every decision goes to the fans on this but it, it it is generally regarding administrative stuff on it Now that that's kind of like both sides of it kind of some advantages and disadvantages, but will it actually happen? Mm -hmm. I think it could. I think it could because, you know, like I said, Boris Johnson, I don't like him very much, but he even, he even said that this could be a good idea. And if you have the prime minister on your side, you, you've got a pretty, I'd say you have a pretty decent chance of it happening just because of that. So, you know, if, if uh, like, I can't even remember who the labor leader is anymore. I know it's not Jeremy Corbyn anymore, yeah. but uh, if you can get the labor leader and Boris Johnson to come together in support of this, it happens. It, it happens. Like it, they, Because they have the power to force the Premier league, the FA to do this. So it definitely can. Uh, although more practically, I think a lot of the, a lot of these politicians, you know, like in, like in the U S can be bought out there. Exactly. they can be bought out. and because of that, it's very possible that it doesn't actually happen because you could get these clubs have a lot of money. The ownership has a lot of money. and because of that, they're willing to spend to protect their brand, to protect their profits. And you know I've said it too many times, cost benefit analysis again, if the cost of buying off a few legislatures or MPs is uh, is or members of parliament, I suppose I should specify is is uh you know less than the cost that would happen if they have to implement 50 plus one and can't always get their way they're going to choose the cheapest option and yeah. so pessimistically again it it has a small chance of happening but I, I i'd say it's a statistically significant chance so take that as you will i guess <laughs>
0: yeah i mean I, i'm right there i don't think it's even like pessimistic i, I hate to use this term but it, i It might be a realist, you know, because this is like the realistic uh, thing that's going to happen. And because like you mentioned, lobbyists exist. I'm sure I'm sure these owners have on speed dial a PR firm, a lobbyist firm that they can call up and say, hey, I'm going to I need you guys to go in, talk to Boris Johnson or all these other MPs and get them to. Kill off the the fifty plus one legislation that's on the floor right now. It, that that's one option because we can go through the government or the clubs can just independently do it. But like you said before, cost benefit analysis. If it's you know the clubs could do that, but in the long run, what's going to get them more money is having a monolithic control of the 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 club, and so they're not going to give that up because in the long run, they get more money. By staying in the status quo, and when we talk about like the 50 plus one uh, being a good option for, for teams and for fan control, you know, it it, it would be really nice. To get stadium improvements, less favorable uh, loans taken out, ticket prices probably decrease, more community outreach, less uneconomical transfers. But at the same time, as you said before they're not a monolith supporters aren't a monolith you don't even need to pay them off if you can just convince like enough uh, of the fans that hey this is the right move you know there's no giant like group me group chat uh, of fans saying like hey guys we should all vote on this or like we should support this if you can get a good chunk of the supporters to turn on the other there, there there you go you 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 have your way and not only that But something that I think we failed to mention is the fact that if you have 50 plus one or just fan control in general, money needs to be from the club. It needs to be organic grassroots, like like money has to come from the supporters, from player uh, transfers out, from merchandise sales. You don't have the same Roman Abramovich just pouring his oligarch money into the club because you don't have as much as that because you only have... A uh, 49%, 50% of the club belonging to a corporate entity. And so that makes it hard to potentially compete when you have the 50 plus one rule. But you know, that brings up an even bigger question. And I think is a question that we're, as football fans, going to have to grapple with when we're talking about fan control. And what this protest kind of at the end signaled is. If this community matters so much, if it means spending less money on players and becoming less successful, would fans still support 50 plus one community control and decommercialization? Like, OK, if a club was well managed and pumped with a lot of money, would these clubs still protest like City uh, in specific you know they're doing pretty well for themselves they're they're now in the UCL you know final i i don't see a lot of their fans speaking out against their ownership is it just cuz they're not doing well uh, th- th- there's a lot of questions in this question jack so I, I, i'll let you take it wherever you want but the bottom line is do you think the fans are going to be willing to sacrifice their owner like pumping in money if it means more fan control if it means 50
1: plus 1 yeah that that is a bit of a tough question to answer just because like you know it, it it's a tough thing to think about because a lot of i'm sure a lot of chelsea fans who were who were protesting on that tuesday the super league died right a lot of them were probably pro roman abramovich mm-hmm against the super league, right? So it's, it's kind of tough to separate them because the, but the one thing I I would say is maybe it does, it doesn't necessarily mean spending less money on players, but you're right that it can mean potentially being less successful, I guess, just because, you know, supporters, I, you know, they, they don't always know what's best for the club. Right. There, there's some things that the the board is probably uniquely situated to address. There and uh, you know, sometimes asking for that input could lead to the wrong decision being made So it 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 it's it's tough because I I like the idea of 50 plus one, right? And I, I think a lot of people like it because it does sound appealing. But the other thing is. You know, it, it is tough because there there's a lot of people who probably would be like, you know what? I'm fine with my owner. They, they pay a lot of money. They put in a ton of money. We get awesome players. So I'm fine with it.
0: That's a, but, that's a significant chunk of footballing fans out there. Exactly. I, don't, I think there's a good amount of people, especially the ones that were pro European super league who are just let's win first. All I care is about the, the bragging rights, the trophies, I don't give two Fs about the community that this club represents.
1: Yeah. And the other thing with it is as the game becomes more commercialized and more globalized, it's going to heavily shift more towards the winning first. So Mm -hmm. it's going to, it's going to be less and less appealing. I I feel like, you know, if you were to make sort of a map of, uh, you know, fans of these clubs, right. and, the most of the discontent towards the Super League, it would be relatively evenly distributed amongst fans, right? I think, I think it would be relatively evenly mm-hmm. distributed in terms of hatred towards it. But I think in terms of like supporting a 50 plus one rule, or like, you know, uh, if you had to answer, uh, if like uh, the 50 plus one rule meant spe- like potentially being less successful because less money is coming into your club, the way that it would work is around Britain, they wouldn't care. They, they would want their clubs back because they've grown up with that. But people like us, right? Except Manchester who,
0: City fans. I, I'll have yeah. to say, I, I don't believe in Manchester City fans enough to think that they'd, they'd push Fair for enough. their club back. No offense Fair to enough. City fans, all two of you, but...
1: <laughs> wow. Well, ahead. we know one of them then because Logan Logan from uh, Stoppage Time is a City fan, remember?
0: Mm, so. I think he got paid off by City Football Group from being Oh, honest.
1: okay. okay. <laughs> uh, but, you know... I, I feel like as you go out from the UK, you're getting less and less people who are willing to give that up. Because the reason why a lot of these people fell in love with these clubs is because they were successful. Like, you know, I, I, I might not have the same experience because my, my journey to like finding Chelsea was a little bit different, but I'm sure people in like, you know, the 2000s, early 2000s, when they, when they were just like turning on the TV and saw like a soccer game, they weren't like, ah, yes, Burnley. <laughs> that is sure. my club. It, it's it's going to be like Arsenal, United. I
0: mean, to be fair, that yeah. is what I did with West Ham. But yes, fair, go ahead. Fair enough. <laughs> but
1: yeah, like it, it's not very common. That's not as yes. common. So I think that it really depends on where you ask. And because this is mostly going to be situated around Britain, like the decision of 50 plus one, I think more people are likely – to accept that and they would still protest you know uh yeah i i think i think that that it really depends on the local area but because it's probably the debate's probably going to be centralized over the uk it's probably it's pro they're probably more willing to support it that's a really long potentially confusing answer but no, I think it's a very complex
0: question. So, yeah. yeah, it is a very complex question. I think even if our listeners didn't get a really straight answer, they can at least think about it more themselves. I'm going to have to actually very hard disagree with you on your point okay. like uh, clubs outside of the 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 British Isles not really supporting 50 plus 1. I think that's the exact opposite. Really? Yeah, I, okay. I think if you if you ask a Valencia fan would they have their club back? If you ask a Bordeaux fan, because they're in some hot water with their ownership, ownership just like you know, bounced, you know what I'm saying? I, they'd want their club back. If you ask Inter Milan after their logo mishap this season, if they'd want their club back, I think they would. And so unless you're talking about the likes of perhaps PSG, Bayern Munich, Juventus, perhaps clubs that are are steeped in perennial success perennial global brandness that's not even a word but they would say that they would be anti 50 plus one perhaps but even then you know it's kind of up in the air i think at the, the bottom line is that local fans especially will be pro getting their team back and i think if if the protesters at manchester united with uh the supporters trust and whoever is wanting to get 50 plus one I think, and something that they have been saying is that their marketing of 50 plus one has to be very good in order to get all types of fans, international and local, on board. Because if you say like, hey, you, Logan, Manchester City fan, we're going to implement 50 plus one. You have the ability to control Manchester City that'd be so cool and logan would definitely jump on that we're we're mentioning logan cuz we we just guess guest spotted on their uh on their podcast go go check them out here that's a the late plug for that but go ahead check them out but i think logan would take that if you told jack i'm pretty sure you would be like yeah heck yeah i would own chelsea if i got to own a little bit of them that would be sick i mean would you not take that
1: maybe I, I i'm not so sure because that's a lot of pressure you know to to make those decisions and uh yeah and especially well, since i'm an american and you know a lot of uh, uk fans don't really like americans well, perspective to, to so be fair it know. would be
0: you and probably like 200 300,000 other people i fair enough yeah we see this in the u.s i still think the green bay backers are a majority fan owned so obviously you know It is possible for for that to just just happen. Of course, they are the exception and not the rule. But with them and other local fan owned clubs around England, uh, fifty plus one in the Bundesliga, it's possible. Uh, But but Jack, just just really to close this specific section out, would you support Chelsea? Like you in particular, would you support Chelsea if it meant that you can't get big players? And if they didn't win the Premier League for a long time, like 10 years, if it meant that Chelsea can return to being more of a community club.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I I'd be fine with that. Like, you know, we, the club is still, is still good regardless of if they can get big players or not. Cause for one, I think the youth Academy still makes up for a lot of it. And uh, also I, you know, I, I don't care that much about the trophies. I, I just like the team because you know, they they're I, I I'd like to think that I wouldn't just go to like, you know, the next club that just wins a lot. I, I like to think that at least.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, and that, yeah, that, that isn't to say that the clubs are just going to fall flat on their face. If they, they don't have a, a huge rich owner, like Abramovich pumping in money. I mean, you know, Take Manchester United for example. They're in so much debt. If the fans controlled the club, maybe they wouldn't be in debt, and maybe they could be financially stable and be completely, completely fine. Many teams, I think, would have the ability to stand on their feet. And many times, it's the owners doing more harm than good. You know, I, I think there are at least a, a pretty good handful of clubs out there who can probably at least baseline support themselves. Maybe not, you know, grow exponentially. So some of these clubs have done, but stay on their feet and support themselves through their ticket sales or their merchandise sales or their their TV and sponsorship deals they don't necessarily need an owner to pump in an influx of money so you know that is 50 plus 1 that is community control that is decommercialization well let's end it there but first before we truly end it i suppose let's just give our final takes about what these protests means for commercialization. Uh, I'll I'll just start out first. I I think, I think when we're talking about the, the larger effects of not just the Glazers protests, but the Cronky Out protests, the Super League protests, uh, the calls on social media to get these owners out, to get commercialization out. I, I think it really speaks to a discontent within the footballing community that they are tired. Like I said before, of being treated as a customer instead of a supporter. And I think that discontent is just gonna grow until it reaches a boiling point. And I think we could have already passed that, we could be nearing that point, but with the, the growing need for 50 plus one and fan control, we're gonna see more people protesting, we're gonna see more people in support of fan control, pushing local legislators in the UK to make it happen. It's going to be a difficult road, but I think those are the effects that we're going to see moving forward. Uh, Jack, do you have anything uh, else to say about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I I spent a lot of this episode talking pessimistically, you know, right. But uh, I think that this still could happen, whether or not it would be perfect. That that's another debate. But you know, I I think it could happen if you. If you already have like some big names behind you, it it definitely has a chance. And, you know, if if you want it to happen, then what I would say is, you know, try and get to, like, as I said, that 5% type thing, you know, try and make it, try and make the cost benefit equation for the Glazers harder. Try and try and challenge them and say, you know what, we're actually going to stick to this. This protest isn't just an empty action. We're actually going to not go to your games. We're not going to buy your jerseys. And if you do that, then it makes it more and more likely that the Glazers, the Cronkies, FSG sells, but you have to be credible in your threats, I suppose that that's, that's the key portion of it. If, if not, then, you know, you're probably not going to get 50 plus one so, uh, sooner rather than later. You're not going to get the Glazers to sell. So, you know, if you want something, fight for it, I guess. I mean, yeah. you don't necessarily like actually like physically fight Well, no, no. But like, you know, stand up for it,
0: Yeah, like the status quo doesn't change. That's the reason why we're so pessimistic because we were like, I don't know if people are going to actively fight the status quo. I don't know if that's even in the realm of possibility. But if you really think about it, it is. But it it takes people, not just like not buying, not just not watching, not just not uh, participating in the event that the club puts on but actively working against them. And that's what I was so impressed by uh, Manchester United fans outside of Old Trafford. The fact that they're able to literally shut the entire thing down. And uh, okay, I'm I'm not gonna right now condone the destruction of property and breaking into private property, at least on this podcast. But I, I will say that hurting the bottom line actively like that and not even that, but if you just like show up and 5% of the entirety of the Manchester population was outside of uh, Old Trafford, outside of the Glazers' home, even though I, I highly doubt that they have a home where they spend a lot of their time in Manchester to the point where you can find, you would probably find them in Tampa. Okay, fly to Tampa, you know, go outside their mansion or whatever and just get something done like that. That's, that's at the end of the day what it's going to take. Active action. Plus the passive peaceful action as well, and that's how you make change. And maybe I'm just speaking on my butt right now, but that's the way I think about it. Jack, do you have any closing remarks about this? And do you have anything else to say to our listeners before we close it out?
1: Outside of just the stuff about protest, you know, uh, if you enjoyed this discussion on on all of this, or you know, if you hated it. Uh, you know still try it still check out our other episodes anyway and follow us on twitter you can you can tell us either way if you enjoyed it or you hated it at final third show uh, on twitter and instagram you can find us there interact with us Uh, we post a lot more on twitter than we do instagram but yeah we we enjoy conversations that's why we do this podcast and uh we'd love to hear from more of you
0: yeah and as always, one of the best ways you can support the show is by sending it to a friend, telling them that you should they should check out the show. That always helps. we like to thank you guys for the growth that we've had the past four months we've been doing the show. And yeah, tell your dad as well. If uh, Family recommendations always come in highly. So tell your dad about the show. I'm sure he would love it as well. We'll see you guys next Monday for our news and predictions show. We got, we've got, we already got some big stories we're planning to talk about, so do check those out. And we'll see you same time, same place for next week's Deep Dive episode. See ya.
1: Bye for now.